Amen. The Lord's people said, I want to say thank you again to everybody that has had part in this service up till now. In the back, um, all the ordained men that was a part of the council, thank you for taking part of your Saturday uh, to be a part of this service. Brother Jay, for serving as the clerk to report to the church for your leadership in the first song. Uh, that uh, the congregational song, the first special that was sung, was sung by Brother Aaron's family. That was his dad, his brother Warren, his sister-in-law Lindsay. They sing often in our church. Uh, of course, the first message was bought, brought by Brother David Barnett, who is the pastor of Shady Grove Baptist Church here in the county. He's the dearest friend I have in the ministry. I love him. He has a lot of wit about him. You wouldn't think anybody from Alabama could do that. Mississippi has been good for him. <laughs> We're going to have a meeting breakout, aren't we? And then Miss Angie, our faithful pianist, uh, always here, just wants to play her part, glad to serve. We appreciate you. And then the men up in the sound room keeping things going up there. This is going out over Facebook Live, I assume, and and then it'll be on our website as well. Won't you be making your way to Acts chapter number 20? And while you're making your way, I couldn't help but reflect, thinking about um, this service, the council, the service itself has been very reflective of Brother Aaron's ministry. I have said about him in the back after everyone else finished, uh, there were words that was offered by every preacher in the back, seasoned with wisdom. Every one of them. and uh, But I said, I don't know exactly how I stated it, but, uh, but there, were, there were comments that were made about cliques and first one thing and another. There are such things as preacher cliques. You wouldn't probably believe it if you're part of just a church member and part of a church. But there are. And I assured the men that Brother Aaron doesn't have that in his sights. He's not looking to be included nor invited. He's not a song and dance man. He's a Bible preacher. And I appreciate that about him. Seated up here with him, of course, is his wife. Uh, the reason why I love him is because he loves his wife. That's my youngest daughter. But he and Anna, uh, they have their own family. Lucy is in her Grammy's lap, Brother Aaron's mom's lap, Miss Shelley. And then Margot, her mom's holding her. And we love this family. We knew there'd come a day when he surrendered to preach that some church would issue a call for him to become pastor. And you've done that. Um, just from personal reflection, there were a number of churches that wanted to sit down and talk with him, whether it be about a youth position or perhaps praying about becoming pastor. He just never felt God was in that. But on the telephone, I don't know if the gentleman is here today or not, but just on the telephone, after a conversation with one of your men, he and I were speaking at my home, and he said, Brother Kevin, I don't know what it is about that, but God's in this. And he knew up front, God can talk where you can understand him, and he loves you. We've had many conversations. Matter of fact, I don't have to charge him today. He and I have had many intimate conversations about the scripture about pastoring, about people, about pressure that's put upon a preacher. Uh, we live under constant pressure. 
And we're not going to escape that until we lay the body down. Um, we've, we've spoken from can to can't. He's willing to be instructed, corrected, uh, which speaks of a humility. And I'll say something about humility in a moment. But every preacher ought to have some of that. None of us have arrived. Acts chapter 20, if you can and you will, would you stand with us, please? I want to read verses 17 through 31. I love the book of Acts. We've just started Bible readings on Wednesday night from the book of Acts. We're actually studying the book of Philippians, but we just began Bible readings from the book of Acts this past Wednesday evening. But I love Acts 20, particularly verse 17 to the end of the chapter. We'll read down through, beginning with verse 17, down through verse 31. We don't have time to go through all of these verses, but I do want to point out some things in this charge that I have to Brother Aaron. Acts 20, verse 17 and following, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many, tear, many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify, of the, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I go... I know that ye, and now, excuse me, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the, the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Thank you for standing. It's a lot packed into this chapter. As a matter of fact, let me give you some things that you'll find in Acts chapter number 20. You'll find much travel, which speaks to the labor involved in ministry. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he, um, he's always doing what we preachers are to be doing, that is studying, praying, working. We're always sermonizing. Uh, I've been behind a, till, a tiller for a day and a half in my garden, and I'm working on tomorrow's message. It's that way with a preacher. Nobody understands him like another preacher will understand him. Uh, the Apostle Paul's busy. He's traveling. There's much travel in Acts chapter number 20. He goes to Macedonia. 
He goes to Greece for three months. He's back at Macedonia. He's at Philippi. He goes to Troas, Azos. Then he goes to Mytilene, Chios, Samos, uh, Trogelium, and then to Miletus. And we picked up where in verse number 17, he at Miletus, he sends for the Ephesian elders and asks them to come meet him. And he wants to charge them. He wants to remind them. He has labored among them three years. He's given himself day and night for three years. We learn in the text that he labored with his hands. So not only did he preach day and night and teach the word of God and filter questions individually and corporately and preach and teach the scriptures, but he also made tents with his hands. So he sends for them. He sends word and tells the Ephesian elders that he wants to meet with them and he wants to speak with them. Much travel. Much, uh, you'll find also a tragedy in chapter number 20. You'll find that there's one occasion in chapter number 20 that Paul preaches until deep in the night. A man by the name of Eutychus is sitting in the windowsill. And, of course, he falls asleep, falls out. He's three stories in the air, falls to his death. And, of course, he's raised back to life. There's a tragedy. Which don't be too harsh on him. Verse number 9 of this chapter says, And as Paul was long preaching, we preachers have a tendency of that, don't we? We were out on the parking lot outside for about a year, and my preaching grew from about 40 minutes to 50 minutes and an hour and five minutes, and that's where we're stuck these days. But the Bible says, and as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Now, that's what sleeping in church would get you. And then we find a testimony in Acts chapter number 20. Number one, a testimony to Paul's faithfulness. He says in verse number 18, he uses this phrase. He says, I've been with you at all seasons. He said, I've been with you when times were good and times were bad. I've been there. We would say it in our vernacular. I was there in the spring season when things were beginning to grow. I was there in the summertime when it was hot and really nothing going on. But then again, I was there in the fall, the harvest time of the year, when there was a harvest to be reaped. And then I was there in the wintertime when it was dead and nothing at all was going on. With the Christian life, with Christian ministries, even with the church, we go through various seasons. And Aaron, it is incumbent upon you to remain at all seasons as long as it's the Lord's will that you abide at Calvary Baptist Church with this flock in Grenada, Mississippi. There's also this charge that's given to the Ephesian elders as he sends for them, there was a plurality of elders at uh, Ephesus. We believe that Timothy was the pastor. He would have led all of them. Of course, what the elders would have done would have, been, uh, would have had a twofold ministry. I'll say something about that in just a moment or two. But Paul, that's who he's calling for. He's not calling for the Sunday school teachers necessarily. He's not calling for those that are just pew warmers. But he wants the leadership of the church. And he says, y'all come to where I am, and he begins uh, talking to them. Now, these Ephesian elders, as he sends for them, they have sat in a place of elevated privilege, right? For three years, according to verse number 31, for three years he has preached to them. So they have sat under the ministry of Scripture for three years. Now, I think we've lost that in our generation, in our society. When you gather at... Uh, Calvary Baptist Church tomorrow. We gather here at uh, Charity Baptist Church. When it comes time for preaching, 
That's a high privilege to be able to sit in someone called of God, open the word of God, and declare the scriptures, to make plain, to make known the scriptures in our hearing. That's a high privilege. But not only was it a high privilege for the Ephesian elders and for the church at Ephesus, it was a great standing, a high privilege for Paul to stand where he stood. And Aaron, it is a high privilege for you to open the scriptures and to have a people to declare and exercise your gift and your calling before these people. And so don't ever take that lightly. You're to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is, cutting it straight, uh, approaching the word of God in its context. Most of us know the cliches that preachers throw around, and everybody else doesn't have to be preachers. But most of us know the cliches. We know them. We know when to say them. We know when to snap our fingers and to get an amen. But that's not what people need when they're facing trials in this life. What they do need is the truth of Scripture, that when they're facing the hardships and the realities of life. According to Isaiah chapter number 45, God created this universe, but he created one planet to be inhabited by man. According to Isaiah 45, and this planet that is inhabited by man has seen men called ever since there's been inhabitants upon planet Earth to declare the word of God. In the Old Testament, there were judges. There were prophets. There were patriarchs. There were those that declared the word of God. In the scriptures, there was Christ himself, and there was his apostles. And then in the epistles and forward, God has been placing his hand upon men and calling them, and their greatest responsibility is that of preaching the word of God. I want to say, Aaron, God has and is still calling men to preach, and you're one of those chosen few that's been called to handle the scriptures. You'll live a different life. Um, I think it's already been stated, either back in the council or Brother David perhaps stated, the ministry itself is a lonely life. And you just as well as get used to that right now. Nobody's going to understand you. Nobody's going to get you. There'll be times that Anna and your children won't get you. Your mom, your dad won't get you. Uh, Your neighbors are not going to get you. And you'll have to walk alone. But uh, if you'll walk with Christ, there'll be two of you. They'll be walking that journey where the devil would try to convince you that you're walking alone. Always remember, as Spurgeon said to a man who once asked him how he did, what he did, so much of what he did, he said, you forget there's two of us. And so your walk with Christ, you make sure that that walk with Christ is real. You spend time with the Lord Jesus. After all, it is Jesus who died upon the cross of Calvary, buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and was resurrected after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth as ascended back to the Father that singled you out and called you. Jesus of Nazareth is to be your best friend. As a matter of fact, I'm a little bit ahead of myself here. Your best friend, if you have one, should not come from within your congregation. If you're going to preach to all men, you're going to have to be free of them. If you spend your time with men telling the secrets of your heart, then you can't preach to them because they're going to tell you the secrets of theirs. And it will get in the pulpit with you. So you beware of that. Make sure you walk with Christ. Now, in the church, you're going to find that the church at its best is going to have its casualties. And some of that you're going to have to learn to just let it play out. There'll be people that's going to come, and there'll be people that's going to go. 
You let the Holy Spirit sort that out. Those that land and stay with you, you feed them. Feed the flock of God over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you to be overseer. God called you to preach the word. He didn't call you to fit in. He didn't call you to join some club in Grenada. He called you to preach. You're to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. When everybody else is doing what they're doing, you make sure that you're doing what you've been called to do, and that is to preach the word of God. In the ministry, there'll be many wounds. You'll have to feed people that will wound you. You'll have to love them that will wound you. You'll have to be kind to others who will be unkind to your wife and unkind to your daughters and if you have more children. But your calling is higher than uh, the fickle attitudes of fallen Adam. You're to rise above that. You sit in a place no one else can sit. You can't sit and gossip about your congregation. You cannot slander your congregation. You cannot belittle your congregation. If you do, you ought to resign and get out of their way. Nobody needs to be pastoring, leading singing, teaching a class, being a deacon in a church who slanders their people. And brother, you love your people. And I'll tell you what you'll find. You'll find that those who love you, when it comes to time of jumping, they'll jump before you jump to give you a soft place to land. But you preach to them, you love them, you call their names in prayer. After all, the Bible calls you a watchman. You watch for their souls. This, I'm still in introduction, so I'm going to have to get to my message here in just a second. You'll also find tears in this chapter. You'll find twice where Paul is shedding tears. And you'll find where the Ephesian elders are shedding tears as well. I'll try to say something more about that in just a moment. Look at a few verses. I won't give you all this. But look at a few verses. Look back to verse number 19. Now, we learned some things about Paul and we learned some things about ministry in this chapter through the pen of Luke as he records this meeting with Paul and the Ephesian elders here at Miletus. Look at verse number 19. First of all, you notice that Paul is submissive in ministry. Look at verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Now let's just remind ourselves who it is he's speaking to. Verse 17 and 18. The Bible says, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. He sends for the leadership of the church. And then in verse number 18, the Bible says, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, the elders, the presbyteral, the administrators of the church. I think we would do well if we could get back to this. The purpose of the deacons was to keep problems down. The purpose of the elders in the early church was to take care of the business of the church. They basically took care of administrative duties in the church kept things running smoothly so that whoever the pastor was, so that he might give himself to preaching the word and study of it and to give himself to prayer. These elders would provide leadership in the assembly and also, also they protected against false teachers and false teachings. If you pay attention in Acts chapter number 20, you'll also learn a little bit of Satan's agenda, right? When it concerns the church, you'll find that Satan's desires to deceive the church or destroy it. To the church that he cannot deceive, he seeks to destroy. To the church he cannot destroy, he seeks to deceive, plant seeds of doubt and disruption in the church. But notice Paul's perspective concerning ministry. 
In verse number 19, he writes, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. This phrase comes from the noun form. It's the verb of the noun, doulos. It speaks of being a bond slave. What Paul is saying here is that he's a slave for Jesus Christ, a bond slave. He has willingly given himself to Christ. He opens with doulos when he opens with his greeting as he writes to those at Rome, as he writes to those also at Philippi, and as he writes to the believers in Galatia. His is, uh, is that of service to Christ. In verse 19, when he writes, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, he gives us a biblical view of what, uh, of what uh, humility ought to be like. Sometimes we come across, Brother David may plug into what I'm going to say. He and I were sitting at Cracker Barrel. It's been two to three years ago in another state. And there was a brother sitting, sitting between us. And he shed a few crocodile tears. And he said, do you remember this? He said, uh, I just, I'm just not worthy to preach. I'm just not much of a preacher. You remember that? And that brother is one of the biggest hypocrites I know. He was looking for a pat on the back. He was looking to control the scene. He wanted somebody to recognize him. He wanted somebody to puff him up, to lift him up. That's not biblical humility. This, with all humility of mind, comes from one Greek word. The whole phrase comes from one Greek word and lends itself to two emphases. First of all, it lends itself to the realization of our utter weakness and helplessness. You are nothing, and I am nothing. As a matter of fact, when you and I die, for the most part, no one will remember who we were. The only thing that's going to matter is what we've done for Christ. But this world will not have known our name. So we must realize our utter helplessness and weakness outside of Christ. But then also this phrase out of the Greek word, one word, it also lends itself to another emphasis. And that is our great need of continually looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and his sufficiency. And this balance is needed by every preacher, every servant of Christ. We have no room to boast, but we do have a place to find ourselves upon our knees. Jesus said in John 15, verse number 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus didn't say, without me you can do a few things. He didn't say, without me you can do many things. But he said, without me you can do no thing, absolutely nothing. Our dependence on Christ is not a partial dependence, but our dependence on Christ in our home, in the pulpit, in the public, in the private, is to be totally upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We can do nothing without Christ, and yet Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 4 and verse 13 of the book of Philippians and wrote, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Secondly, Paul is sensitive to the varied needs about him. The second phrase in verse number 19, he goes on to say, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and then he includes with many tears. I want to borrow from a couple of other places other than just this text, but you'll find that there were basically three areas that broke the broiler of Paul's tears. Number one, the lost souls about him broke the broiler of Paul's tears. Listen to him in Romans 9 verses 1, 2, and 3. He said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. 
Here's what Paul is saying when he looked at his lost kinmen, his brothers and sisters according to the flesh, the Jewish people. He looked upon them and he said, I'm willing to trade my place in heaven for their place in hell. It broke his heart that there were men, women, boys, and girls that would leave this walk of life unsuspectingly one day and find themselves in the confines of the charred walls of the damned. That broke his heart. It ought to break all of our hearts. That there are lost men, lost women, lost boys, and lost girls dying today, right now, dying. They're on their deathbed right now and shall soon plunge into this place called hell. It broke the broiler of Paul's tears. What also broke the broiler of Paul's tears was rebellious church members. He didn't get mad at them. Second Corinthians is all about a rebellious group of people. He, he didn't get mad at them. He was offended by it. He was hurt deeply. But he wept. Listen to what he wrote to them. Second Corinthians 2 and verse 4. He writes, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. There's a lot of debate over original manuscripts today. I don't think we have any. God's got a copy of it all. But I wonder if when this was read at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 4, I wonder if the pastor called one of the elders, one of the deacons up beside him and said, help me here. Do you see stained with the ink? Is that sweat? Or could it be the great apostle's heart is so broken that that's tears mingled with the ink on the page? It broke his heart that there were those that wouldn't get in to what God had for them in the church. But rather, they were rebellious. And then, of course, if you look at verses 29 through 31, it also broke his, broke his heart and he wept over the vulnerability of the people in the church. Watch this. You think you don't need a pastor? You think you don't need an under-shepherd serving under the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd? You think you don't need somebody that stays up at night and their, their nerves wore to a frazzle most of their lives? You think you don't need that? You think you, you think you don't need somebody to put in at verse 3 if they left off at verse 2 last week and take you a little farther in Scripture? You are vulnerable, and I am vulnerable. Listen to what the Bible says, verse 29 through 31 of our text here. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. In other words, there's going to be those that would join your membership after I'm gone that care nothing about you. They care about themselves, but they care nothing about you, your babies, or anybody else. They don't care if you die and go to hell. They don't care if your babies have something to eat. They don't care about you. Look at verse 30 and 31. He says, also of your own selves shall men arise. Lord, be structure in every church. Every church needs structure. I followed a dear brother who on a Thursday evening suddenly and unexpectedly was called home. And I'm going to say this, and anybody that wants to take issue with this, we'll talk about it afterwards. There were some things transpired after that that should not have transpired. And if he could have fixed it, he would have fixed it. He wouldn't have had it for nothing. He said, also among your own selves shall men rise up. Verse number 31, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn 
Everyone, watch this, night and day, and here's what I'm talking about, with tears. Let me give you a third thing you find here about Paul and about ministry. I'll try to give you this quickly. Verse number 19 also, Paul was selfless in his service among the Ephesian church. Look at verse number 19. Notice this phrase. He goes on after he says, and with many tears, he says, and temptations. That's not solicitations to sin, but that's trials. And he's going to name them. Watch what he says. I'm talking about him being selfless. And temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. That's a summary statement of all the trials he faced. If the average pastor quit like the average church member, we'd all be out of the ministry. We all get our feelings hurt regular. You'll have to get over yourself. And I'm coming to that in just a moment. How did Paul do that? How was he able to overcome when somebody's gossiped about him? Somebody's cut his wife or cut your wife. Somebody said something about your children. You cut his children as much slack as you want your own cut. How's he get over that? Here's how he got over that. He clues us in in two different portions of the New Testament. In Galatians 2.20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live In the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then writing in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 31, he said, I die daily. I used to try to fight everybody that's against me, put out every fire. Looking back, I wish I'd never done any of it. I don't think I helped anybody. There's no edification in that. You got to learn to lose so everybody else can win. You have to. If you're going to be a leader, you can fight and play pro ball, and you'll be okay. You can steal and be a leading businessman, and you can be okay. But you can't have hard feelings against your people and stand up with God's man for the hour. It'll never work. You'll have to learn to die to yourself. As a matter of fact, we need more dying so that we may live. And we need more life of Christ so that we may die. I was trying to recall the name, and I, and I did in my study this week, to our people I was preaching recently. It was James Calvert that was the missionary to the Fiji Islands, James Calvert. He and a group of missionaries, mission team, were headed to the Fiji Islands, and they had contracted a ship and a captain to take them there. And before getting to the islands, the captain said to James Calvert, he said, you're fools, all of you. He said, cannibals inhabit the islands. They'll kill you. You're fools. He said, they'll kill you. Calvert responded to the captain. He said, impossible. They can't kill us. We died before we left home. You'll have to die. There'll be some Sundays before you get up from the chair or the front pew to stand behind the desk. You'll have to die to yourself. It's going to be a lot of sunny Saturdays, you're going to be in the study. Everybody else is going to be on the golf course. There'll be a lot of vacations when Anna and the children are going to be enjoying themselves. But you're going to be living under the pressures of the ministry. You're going to have to die to yourself. That's part of it. It's part for the course. Let me give you my last thought, and I'm done. Paul's steadfast in ministry. Look, if you will, at verse number 20 and 27. I could give you a lot more. Time's getting away from us. Verse number 20. In verse number 27, watch what Paul says. He says, and how I kept back nothing. You see what he's saying there, don't you? 
There was a temptation to keep back something. Look at verse number 27. He writes in verse number 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you. There was a temptation not to declare, to shun. There was a temptation to shun, to leave something off. Just as sure as when you're sitting on the pew and it's painful to hear what you're hearing from your pastor, just as sure as that is a reality, it's also painful sometimes to preach what we're preaching from Scripture. Paul is steadfast in the ministry. It reminds us of the personal discomfort. A lot of things, a lot of things I could say. I've charged him. I spent four years charging him. Every time he's asked me, I've not intruded. I don't intrude on their lives. I'm not going to start. But every time he's asked, I've been honest. I've done my best to be honest with him. He's God's man. He's interested in serving God. He's not interested necessarily in serving himself nor promoting himself. Those are good qualities for any servant for Christ. Greatest thing you'll ever do is declare the word of God. Let's think about another illustration I used some time ago. Uh, Louis Pasteur. In his day, there was a lot of people that were dying because of an outbreak of rabies. There's a little boy, nine years old. He was working on a rabies vaccine. A little boy, nine years old, by the name of Joseph Meister. He was bit by a rabid dog. And the doctors had told his mom there was no hope for the child, but that there was a man working on a vaccine. It just wasn't quite ready yet. She learned the man's name to be Pasteur. She found him and begged him to give the vaccine to her son that he might have a chance at life. He gave in. He injected the boy with the vaccine he'd worked diligently on, and the boy lived. Later in life, he was interviewed by a reporter, asked him what he felt like his greatest, what his greatest accomplishment was. He said, my greatest accomplishment was that Joseph Meister lived. When he died, he requested to his family those three words be placed on his tombstone, Joseph Meister lived. The greatest thing that can be said of you at the end of your journey is John Smith lived because a preacher preached the truth. You preach to the lost that they may live. You preach to the saved that they may live. And you preach to younger generations of preachers that's going to come on that they may encourage others to live. I have a lot more I could share with you, but I'm not going to do so. I do want to do something right here before we have the ordination prayer, though. Again, Calvary Baptist Church, you're here from Calvary. Would you stand for just a moment, please? Aaron, I want you to just turn around and look at this group of people that made the journey up today. That's your church family. Those are your people. They're people that you are charged to preach to. Every Lord's Day, every midweek service, they're going to look to you for leadership. You're responsible. You are the watchman of this flock. Those that couldn't make the journey today, you're responsible for every one of them. You're to love them. Some of them may eventually despise one another, but you love them. You support them. When they call you at 2 in the morning, you pick your phone up. You answer. If they call you out in the night, they have a daddy to die. 
or a mom or a brother to die. You go to where they are and you minister to them. Thank you for, thank you for standing. Aaron, I want you to stand. I want you to stand. Turn around and face this church. Calvary Baptist Church, this is your pastor. He's yours. You're responsible for him. Love him. Follow him. Be good to him. Brother David said pay him. Walk by his car every now and then. Kick his tires. Make sure they're in good shape. Every now and then, I'll tell you what you could do for him. A plumber needs a set of tools. A mechanic needs a set of tools. If you don't already, set aside a book fund. Every church ought to have a book fund. You'll spend money out of his pocket to help sharpen his knowledge so that he can feed the flock of God. Love him. Preacher before me said, write his birthday down. Remember his church anniversary. Make a big deal over it. He's more important than the sheriff of your county. He's more important than the most skilled surgeon in your county. Those men may have a scaffold. They may have a badge with the authority of the state of Mississippi behind him. But this man has the call of God on his life. And he's your preacher. Anna, stand. If you want to be good to this preacher, be good to his wife. She lost her identity when he surrendered to preach. She's the preacher's wife. She's Brother Aaron's wife. She won't get to make plans until she knows what your plans are. Write her birthday down. Write her wedding anniversary down. If it matters to her, it ought to matter to you. Be good to her babies. You are their extended family. They'll see you more than they will their own grandparents and aunts and uncles in many cases. Unless I've got something to say about it. All right. Anna, you sit down, please. Aaron, I want you to come, if you will, and kneel down in front of the communion table, facing the communion table. Brother Philip Jackson, will you come around? We're going to have the ordination prayer. And we want all the ordained men to line up on this side. After Brother Philip gets through praying, he will lay his hands on Brother Aaron, and he will pray. And then we're going to line up. We'll come around, and you know the procedure men from there. Then at the close of the service, we'll present him with his certificate of ordination and we will dismiss the service. Brother Philip, if you will. Men, if you'll line up to this side.